Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate, I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of Tennessee Ball Sports Guys here on a Sunday night where I'm still the aforementioned Chase. I'm just coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee, Everything School HQ over there in a snowed-in Knoxville, Tennessee. Mr. Ryan Shepard of Rocky Top Insider. Ryan, good evening, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm ready for tomorrow when I think we're really going to start getting the damage of the snow melting. It And I made it, I made it through six days of the great mm-hmm. Knoxville snow apocalypse. 2024 mm-hmm. with no damage mm-hmm. went got lunch with some family members today went to starbucks and did a little bit of work walking back to the apartment from parking the ice got me fell right on my bottom checks mixed up to my grandma made me went flying <laughs> everywhere hold on are we talking about like down the steps like to the apartment no, complex? are was, you on like a different level or hold on what were we talking uh, about well, here i was i was walking to the stairs i am on okay. a different level but pretty close like i'd gotten past the the vast majority of it and then it was Mm -hmm. straight ice i probably was one to two steps away from freedom of getting under a cover where there was nothing step slipped step maybe one or two other times trying to regain my traction right on my back backpack breaks to fall laptop survived no damage as you can tell as i'm here recording this on my laptop so that made it a little bit better Check again. Checks mix went flying. Hand kind of took a took a hard pounding on the pavement. Absurd mm. visual, but all that to say, I'm ready for snow to melt. Goodness gracious! So you went ice? Did you hit the ice? Like, are you ta- you fell backwards into ice? Yeah, it was mm. ice that got me, not snow. Yeah. Goodness gracious, Ryan! You can't be doing that. Like you, you can't be going on the IL right now. It's not IL uh, season. I luckily I survived it again. Uh, my laptop took the brunt of the damage because I fell just straight backwards, and I had my backpack yeah. on, so that kind of kept it from. That helps. I didn't get any whiplash with that. Yeah, no, really nothing to the head or anything. Lucky. That's probably okay, why so you're not concussed. Yeah. Not concussed. But also, any weird takes from Ryan tonight? Just we can yeah. chalk it up to uh, to exactly the fall. Right. I didn't fall either. I will say I had one scary moment today when I was uh, running a couple errands. And because I've not been out really outside of today for a very short amount of time. And then yesterday to go pick up pizza um, where we had to get out. And I was like, oh, we, we got to do it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's been it. Been it. But I uh, we there was one side street because like the main roads are fine. And this is this is big time because we this is a Tennessee centric podcast today. I'm OK just going deep dive in here into the weather report here in Knoxville, Tennessee, <laughs> because everyone listening to this edition of the program is Tennessee uh, a Tennessee fan. So look, I, I'm not a good driver. I know that like, I'm a pretty, like I am, I go slow. My wife, it drives her crazy. Like I'm a slow right lane or I, I, I'm one of those guys who are too slow in the left lane. 
um, and it annoys people who come up behind me and are like, what are you doing? That's that's me. hundred percent. Like I am the world's worst driver. Shout out to uh, Jessica Walters and Arrested Development. And I uh, I want to take my time. I don't get in wrecks or anything like that. It's not like I'm a dangerous driver. I'm just not a yeah. I'm a slow. I'm a look. I'm I'll get there when I get there. I'm chilling. I'm listening to podcasts. I'm hanging out and deep thought thinking about pods and uh, what I'm reading and things like that, doing notes in my head. And there's one little patch, though, when I'm almost home where I'm going through. I, I realized at the time I was like, I shouldn't have done that. I should have stayed on the main road on um, around my house. And I started sliding. <laughs> there was a car coming the other way. And that's the scariest part if you're driving in this kind of weather where if there's a car on the other side of the road, you are like, uh oh, like one of y'all, you're playing chicken because one of you needs to acknowledge that they need to stop and let you get around to like you just can't like you're going to run into each other the chance of a little bit of a slide and then bumper cars is very high there was also a car like a really nice car right in front of me in that lane and he's just like sitting there parking it on the street so i'm hitting the brakes and it's not we ain't breaking like we we ain't breaking ryan jumpert and the car i'm just like what what do i do here like this is i'm in panic central just blast my horn of like hey man just uh, zoom off or something (laughs) and thankfully last second the dude on the other side moves over so i'm able to like drift (laughs) into the left side and then drift back in the right and be okay i'm going like four miles an hour but it's like the scariest four mile an hour um experience of your life and uh that was it and i was like okay well i got through it i'm done but didn't enjoy that like when you start when the brakes ain't working and uh in this weather you're like well why am i at it but outside of that it was fine we made it through yeah that no i i've had the same situation where on the street that i dead ends into my apartment mm-hmm. where it's a bunch of street parking basically and trying to thread the needle between between two cars street parking even the mm-hmm. same thing going four or five miles per hour just like s- sliding a little bit very nerve-wracking Oh yeah, it's it's terrible. I'm ready for this all to be done. It was cool on Monday and Tuesday, and then everything since. I'm like, all right, this this is enough. I we can't function in a society like this um, going forward. I will say I did one thing too that was dumb, right? I'm almost 33 years old, and little things I just don't understand. My wife was completely perplexed as to why I did this. And look, I'm an Eagle Scout. Just never it never occurred to me, Ryan. Like I'm out here the first day yesterday when I'm trying to like take off the ice and the snow for the first time all week in my car because i was gonna go run uh and get the the food it like i'm tearing it off and i'm moving all the ice off and stuff but i'm using the scraper my little scraper yeah to get it all off but i thought it would take me like five minutes to like move it off the dash because i had my car running for a while so i was like it's heating it'll be all right but then i'm like man my fingers like really hurt and then I was like, oh, right, gloves. So I've just been out there in like 20 degree, like 18 degree weather, just like shoveling snow off my uh, my windshield just with my left hand. So like I have like borderline frost nip in my like thumb from like moving the f- snow off the, the windshield for like 10 minutes because it took me longer than I thought it was. And I was just like, what is that? And I'm like, oh, right, gloves. I, but because I thought I was only gonna be out there for five minutes, shoveling this thing off and then get in the car and drive away, didn't really put two and two together, Ryan. What a concept. Can you imagine the most embarrassing way of getting frostbite? It's yeah, just uh, that's pretty bad. like right in front of your heated house and your heated <laughs> car. And you're just, oh, you just didn't think about gloves because it just yeah. wasn't on your radar. Yeah, no, I, that's one of the few things I was prepared for. I had the gloves. I had the toboggan. I had the little, the, the fuzzy gator. Yeah. Full Jeremy Pruitt with it. Uh, yeah. That, I'm not... I didn't get got on that. Well, that's good because I did, Ryan Shepard, and that's what makes you and I different. Um, 24 hours after, biggest takeaway, you're still thinking about uh, Vols Bama on Saturday afternoon in TBA, sir. Well, I think it's just the whole, it's just the fact that it was a dismantling performance you know, from Tennessee. It's the most lopsided loss Alabama's had since Nate Oates has been there now in uh, SEC loss, I should say, since Nate Oates has been there in four, four and change years. And, you know, the classic saying with basketball, you know, a good team's going to make a run, and Alabama's certainly a good team. Alabama never made a run. They never had a run bigger than 5-0 in the entire game. Tennessee just kept pushing the lead out to more and more and more, and I guess they got it to 27 with, I think, about roughly six minutes left in the game, and then Alabama kind of finally hit two or four three-pointers in the last five minutes of the game when it was over and got it down to 20. You know, I think specifically when you talk about the game itself, uh, I'll, I'll talk about two transfers and that Jordan Ganey finally – 
waking up and hitting some shots for Tennessee, like that's just, you know, you're not going to get that from him. You're not going to get 13 points every half, but that's you just need him to be a threat out there to hit some perimeter shots because that's what the Tennessee needs from their other off ball guard that's coming off the bench because you have Jermaine Meshack who's going to come in there and he's going to play lockdown defense and he's going to be able to do some tough gritty things offensively and maybe handle the ball a little bit and he's need Ganey to be able to hit some shots and then uh, on the other side going to Dalton Connect just the fact that obviously he's an incredibly complete scorer I mean that's you know one of the things I think is most impressive watching him play is that you can score with his left hand at the basket right hand with the basket post up score in the mid-range shooting it off the dribble uh, catch and shoot but it really feels like his big offensive games this year have come when he's hit some perimeter shots, and then that's kind of freed up some driving lanes for him to get to the basket. In this game, you know, he, he makes one of six threes, really struggled to hit shots, um, and was still able to kind of go for a quiet 25 points. I think that's another positive sign in his evolution and development as Tennessee you know, hopes he's the guy that can go out there and consistently give them you know, 17, 18 points a night for him to go out there and give Tennessee 25 points in a night where he, he really shot the ball pretty poorly, I thought was another really encouraging encouraging sign. I also just look at it, it was just kind of like the game never felt in doubt. Like you said, they never go on a, Bama never goes on a run. It just then didn't feel like Bama was even in Tennessee's league. And I think we've talked about in the group chat where I just feel like it's Auburn and Tennessee and are in their own tier this year. And Kentucky, I think they're in a slight tier below they can obviously still give Tennessee problems but I don't know I'm, I'm not as worried about Kentucky especially not worried about Alabama to this point but I just feel like we're looking at Auburn and Tennessee really breaking away as the the two the two heavyweights in the conference this year and Bama just doesn't have it like Bama just did not have um not have the juice and <laughs> you just like t- 91 points to this Tennessee offense I understand they made a lot of strides but Bama's defense is not what it's been in years past for Nate Oates and this bunch. And also Sears was like a sneaky, like Zakai is like, that's the ultimate Zakai matchup <laughs> is frustrating. Yeah. A guy like Sears where there was a couple I jotted down. I'm like, Oh, that's a closeout from Zakai. That's meaningful <laughs> because uh, Zakai can do stuff to Sears that would really frustrate him and uh, get a hand in his face and do, do little things. So I thought that was a good matchup for Zakai and Zakai played extremely well uh, in this game. Um, Ganey obviously hitting some big shots in the first half. So, We'll see if that is something that permeates into uh, the next couple of games um, or if that was a, a blip. We'll see um, for Gandy, but he really, really needed uh, to see those go in and um, still wait and see on Vescovy and uh, um, Triple J, but they just do other stuff and it just hasn't really mattered. Like they just, I don't think it matters for Tennessee ultimately this year where in years past it would have sunk their season. Like even last year, Triple J and Vescovy, they're shooting this way and scoring this way then Tennessee has some real real problems but when you have Dalton Connect and Jonas I do like playing the way that they are that one-two punch it's just it just doesn't matter and I think that's something that fans have to readjust is like what you've needed from Santi and Triple Day the last couple of years you just don't need for ten- Tennessee to still get to where they ultimately want to go right oh 100% I think that's something I said with Triple J you know when he announced he was coming back is that that's so what's so encouraging is like if everything goes as planned for Tennessee, it's like you have Josiah to play great defense, to rebound, to give you the versatility and be able to play smaller and space to floor. And anything he gives you on offense is just gravy. And, you know, that's exactly what happens. And I think people will, you know, probably not yesterday because Tennessee won by 20. But if, you know, see a night where he scores one point and people are going to be critical of him. Well, it's like he scored one point. He took three shots yesterday. It's not like mm. he's out there just jacking up shots because he doesn't need to. And, Obviously, I think you know it's pretty public now. He was had the flu this week, was playing with fever yesterday, and still for him to be able to be kind of that connector for Tennessee uh, and Tennessee for four and a half minute stretch in the first half plays him at the five spot. And you know, I felt like the key to Tennessee's defense's success yesterday was just running Alabama off the three point line, daring them to shoot mid range jumpers. They weren't going to do it, and then saying Jonas Adu is going to be able to handle anything at the rim. And even when he wasn't out there with foul trouble in the first half. Uh, Josiah playing the five Tennessee's defense did take a step back but they were still built their lead during that stretch like it, it they were able to play it for over four minutes like a long stretch of the game so you're 100% right uh, on that one and you know I think what I'd say about the SEC as a whole I guess it's just eye test like I still think Kentucky's kind of and I, I would put them in the same tier uh, as Tennessee and Auburn and look Auburn is incredibly impressive as they've been like they haven't really played anybody Auburn ain't played anybody, Paul. Like, I mean, they haven't. Their best wins Texas A&M at home and, 
Indiana, a bad Indiana team in Atlanta. So uh, I think it'll be a telling for Auburn to see what they look like going to Alabama this week. But obviously, Alabama has been the metric darling. And their offense is really good. It still just feels a little over-reliant on Sears. Like, Sears was solid yesterday in a sense that he scored whatever it was, 22 points, and he wasn't incredibly inefficient. But you saw a guy out there for 33 minutes asked to do everything for the offense with no one but Sakai Ziegler and Jemai Meshack guarding him. Like, that's a really tall task. And granted, not not many teams can do that to you like Tennessee can. Um, but that worries me a little bit for Alabama, but just a big thing. They're just so soft inside on defense. Like, Jonas Adu scored the easiest 19 points I've ever seen. You didn't have to work for anything, it felt like. Um, and, and certainly that Charles Bidiaco, you know, losing him, which I don't think anyone at Alabama expected him to go pro after last season, it's just proved to be massive, massive. And honestly, probably a bigger loss for Alabama than losing Brandon Miller. Speaking of Adu, though, I mean, I didn't have this jump. We thought he'd be good, but like he's been unbelievable offensively like the post moves like you feel good with him inside you feel good he took an open three he didn't hit it at the top of the key yesterday but i'm glad he's taking those um because that was something we were wondering if he was going to start adding more to uh his repertoire uh this offseason but i mean he's just dominating and he's dominating on defense and we've seen that the last few weeks but for him to have the stamina to be able to impact the game so much defensively while also impacting the game so much offensively I just I did not know that that was uh in his, that was just something that would he would be capable of and Adu is like a he's an NBA center now like you look at him and you look at his skill set you look at his size you look at how he's evolved his game like he's gone from I I mean I didn't know he had the size to eventually get there potentially but he has the skills now where Adu is. I mean, he's just really, really good. I did not have Adu being the second best player on the team this year. And if that was the case before the year, if we had pulled each other, what what does Tennessee look like if Adu is the second best player? We're like, mm, I worry about our offensive upside. It's like, no, it, it hasn't been a problem at all. And you notice when Jonas Adu is off the court because I think, look, Awaka, it's a little bit different for him this year, but I think he's taking a step back. I think he's not been as good as he's been um, previously at Tennessee. We'll see if he gets, some, gets it together a little bit, but I don't know. He's just... Awaka feels like he's kind of taking a step back a little bit, but it doesn't really matter because Adu is the second best player on this team. And I just, I don't know. I, I did not see this kind of jump from Adu coming offensively where he can score in so many different ways and make it look so easy around the rim. I'm hundred percent with you. I mean, it's just his ability to turn right shoulder and get to that left hand. It's just been really impressive. And it's, you know, you get, Alabama was trying hard like to make mm. him turn left shoulder. And Rick Barnes talked about wanting him to do it more because he says he's capable. But he's just so tall and he's got that. He's kind of developed that John Fulkerson really high release. And mm. you're 6'11 with a really long wingspan and you can do that. Like, yeah, it's going to be really hard to take away what he wants to do. I mean, no matter mm. how hard you try to shade him defensively. And it, it's just all tied together. Where we're five games in SEC play. Dalton Connect, Joseph, or excuse me, Dalton Connect, Jonas Adu, and Sky Ziegler have been by far and away Tennessee's three best offensive players. And Sky Ziegler's best offensively in the pick and roll, and Dalton Connect's best offensively in the pick and roll. And we're seeing Tennessee do that more than they ever have in the Rick Barnes tenure. I mean, Rick Barnes is a guy that really likes to play with cuts and off ball screens and not be a heavy ball screen team but he's adapting to it and that just leads right into what Jonas A do the way he scores well with catching the ball facing the basket being able to turn around a little bit but not throwing it to him 15 feet from the basket with his back to the basket either like it's just it's all really been very cohesive and tied together very well and that's one thing I, you mentioned his the amount of minutes he's able to play and his with, you know, not out without getting fatigued. Like that's why, and you know, maybe if Alabama made a bigger push yesterday, I'd felt differently, but you know, he picks up a second foul with like eight and change, I think left in the first half. And it was like, yeah, I don't really have a problem. Leave Rick, you know, usually when Rick leaves his best players out with two fouls, it can be maddening. And it's like, now I kind of like it this game. Like mm. you want him to be able to go as many minutes as you can in the second half. It's like, yeah, let him rest up and let him give you, 17 18 minutes in the second half if you need it because you've seen him be able to do it and be effective down the stretch i guess pivoting to a walk when you say he's taking a step back like compared compared to what i think he was more dominant on the glass last year i think he was less i think he was impacting the game more inside i think he like he, he feels more foul heavy this year it seems like he's getting himself more into foul trouble it seems like he's just 
he's just finding his place. I don't know. It feels like Awaka has not been in a rhythm at all this year. I don't feel like he's felt comfortable at all in the minutes that he is in for Tennessee. I just feel like you know, like you, they were, I guess maybe it was just Adu and him were closer a year ago in terms of their impact and ability, this, that, and the other. I just feel like you, the minutes that Awaka's on and Adu sits, you can feel Tennessee bleed a little bit and you can just tell the difference between what Awaka is doing versus what Adu is doing. I don't know. Does it, does it not feel like that to you? Uh, the thing I would agree with is the comfortability for him out there. I think all the other things were the exact, you know, were the same last year. He fouled a ton last year. He just didn't yeah. play much. So you, it, you didn't show up. You weren't ever worried about Tobe Awaka being in foul trouble. Mm. Uh, the rebounding, I could see a little bit. I think it's probably a little bit of a step back. But again, I think some of that's just the sample size was really small last year. So maybe him rebounding at the rate he did last year wasn't going to be sustainable. And, you know, I see what you're saying, but like at the same time, and it's clearly a, a big gap between Adu and Awaka, but there have been games this year where Tennessee's had to turn to Awaka and Adu hasn't played very well and Awaka has performed well. I mean, Awaka was really big for them at North Carolina State and did a great job guarding DJ Burns after Burns kind of got into a rhythm early in the second half against Adu. So, you know, I would agree that he hasn't, or I would say to me, he hasn't taken as big as a step forward as I expected before the season. That would be true, but I don't, I don't feel like he's regressed or taken necessarily taken a step back. Uh, it just kind of feels like maybe he's a year away from being the guy that I thought he could be for this team this year. I, they're going to be in an interesting situation with year two, Estrella and uh, a walk in terms of who starts there. Um, maybe Barnes tries out the two of them together with triple j and company gone but i don't know i mean he played five minutes yesterday and he played 17 against florida seven against georgia 20 it's just that's part of i think the finding his footing is like his minutes are all over the place right now it just seems like barnes isn't really comfortable with a a given set number of minutes and when to put in a walk i just feel like there's just something off um with a walk and the minutes and the consistency and just how to fit him in um all across the board right now because he's a solid player and he brings value like you illuminated i just don't know if it's going to come this year i just feel like he's kind of he's kind of wandering the wilderness uh this final year of adu yeah no i agree with that um that it's not gonna you're not gonna see the massive jump this year i think that's true and i think it's a lot part of what you said like he's just not gonna see the minutes because tennessee's mm-hmm. playing smaller and jonas is playing so well that unless it's a game where jonas is in heavy foul trouble or you know the handful of games i don't know how many there's been three to five probably where Jonas hasn't hasn't played very well. He's just not going to play more than 15 minutes in any of those games. And most of the time, he's probably not going to play more than like 12 minutes. Uh, so you're right. And I you I mean, you said it there like it's a foregone conclusion. But I think it'll be interesting to see, you know, if Jonas, this is a question for another day, obviously a conversation for another day, but is Jonas back or does Jonas go pro? Obviously, the way he's played these last couple of games would indicate that he will be able to go pro. But, you know, I still think there's some questions, you know, with him and, Certainly, it'll be interesting to see again. Conversation for another day. For sure. For sure. Um, Are you officially feeling better about Ganey and his minutes? Or do you think it was just more of let's wait and see? Or do you see enough where it's like, I think Ganey may may turn the corner. And I think Tennessee fans should feel a little bit easier about his minutes. I mean, I don't know if I necessarily he turned the corner like he's not going to get that he It feels like, to me, Jordan Ganey's been such a regression to the mean guy all year. He was playing Hmm. well, so well early that it was like, he's not going to build it. Like, that's just not his, I don't think he can keep that up. And Hmm. then he was playing so badly the last, I don't know, six or eight games. It's like, he's a better player than that. He's Hmm. not a one of 11 to start from three to start SEC play guy. Like, that's, he's better than that. So uh, I think it's somewhere in the middle. It's just to me, again, it goes back to, I think he, what he gave them yesterday or just the element of, being a good three-point shooter, being a catch-and-shoot, hit open shots, play solid defense, be able to handle the ball a little bit, guy, like that's just what Tennessee needs from this second guard off the bench. And I don't necessarily think anybody else can bring that to him. And to me, that's just why that's just why I'm skeptical to really give up on guys and cut guys out of the rotation when you – have seen it even this year of what he can give Tennessee and like they don't need him to be one of the best players or one of the best scorers like maybe he was a couple games early but if he can come in and be a guy that every four SEC games it's two or three threes off the bench you're just 
going, wow, that's another weapon. And man, just like, how do you slow down this Tennessee team? And I just don't think anybody else that could fill in that role can really give Tennessee that. Like Freddie DeLeon's a really good player and his upside's higher. His game doesn't match what I think Tennessee needs as they're off the bench off guard. I don't again, I like him in the backup Sakai minutes. I think you can maybe get him some more minutes there, but it, it doesn't, especially if Ganey's struggling, but it just doesn't match exactly what I think Tennessee ideally wants in that spot. Yeah. And look, I mean, the other positive here, Freddie DeLeon, I mean, we've talked a lot about him on this show, but there was one moment in yesterday's game that just stands out in a major way where he has a bad turnover um, and he runs right back and rips it back and uh, gets Tennessee the ball back. Like he doesn't give up in the play. He runs right back. It was just the ultimate like Rick Barnes is getting through to Freddie type of play yeah. where it's like to stay on the court. He knows he has to impact the game if he messes up in that kind of way to avoid. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrowcom slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Getting the early pull, then I've got to make plays on defense. I got to forget what just happened and just get back. And that was something that I, uh, I liked seeing. And then it just felt like for Bama, they had to be in transition to score. Like Tennessee in the half court is just such a pain. And that's something that just stands out week over week. It's just the way to get Tennessee is beat them in transition but, but when adu is there in the half court when they have all of their guys set and you're trying to score on tennessee in the half court with how active their hands are how much they fly around especially with mayshack uh and company who had another great game uh for tennessee they're just so dang hard to beat in the half court the way to beat them is when sears just catches tennessee lap it, uh napping on a quick bucket and they just go down and score and can stop the game from getting out of hand and i thought that that's what alabama did to keep the game close uh for as long as they did until it turned it up it ended up being a blowout but i think that's the one the one issue sometimes with tennessee is that uh the transition offense can can burn them depending on who they play yeah and yesterday i felt like it was more the secondary break than it was even a silly transition of just alabama getting it in quick and pushing uh when tennessee's got a lot of guys around the rim trying to offense a rebound because obviously Mm. that's usually a huge emphasis for him and was even more so yesterday with Alabama's front line kind of being soft. So I agree with that. You know, this is probably a Will Warren question, but I'd be curious if there's, you know, some sort of stats out there of like, what's the points per possession against Tennessee when teams shoot the ball within 10 seconds? And what's the point per possession when they shoot the ball? You know, it takes them, they bleed more than 10 seconds off the shot clock. Cause I would think those numbers would probably be pretty telling. Final thing on Tennessee basketball. We've gone 25 minutes and we didn't mention his name once. Dalton Connect just quietly. I think Nate Oates said after the game, if it was a close game, he scores 35 or something. Um, yeah. And probably true. But what uh, what's your latest Dalton Connect uh, just scoring with ease uh, showing at, at TBA? Well, it's the fact, fact that he brought him to TBA. Like he really hadn't played that well at home this season. And mm. a lot of that's just because they, I think it's a lot of it's been because they weren't a lot of big games and he seems to always play better in big games. And the Illinois game was the one game at home where he did play really well in. Um, but I mean, the Florida, the Florida games, the one you circle, it was just, it was unbelievable this week. He scores. What was it like 14, 15 points in the final six minutes of the first half? Like just, Florida couldn't stop him. And Tennessee just went back to him possession after possession in different ways. And he just knocked down shots. And I kind of said it at the lead, the way he scored yesterday without having his three-pointer, I thought was really impressive. Um, and then I think this is one of the first observations I had of him. And 
certainly it was easy to win the draw after he threw that dunk down at Michigan State, but he just gives Tennessee's transition offense a whole other element. If it's just like you get the ball out in transition and have him running down the opposite wing, get the ball to him, he's going to score 85 90% of the time. And as Tennessee wants to play faster and wants to push the pace and has a point guard that can do that pretty well in Zakai Ziegler, uh, it's one of the many things that's making Tennessee's offense a lot better. Absolutely. Um, Lance Hurd, officially in the boat. Two transfers. We'll talk about them both here, Ryan Shemper. But uh, he's been in the school directory for a couple days, and uh, it seemed like Lance Hurd was all but official um, to Tennessee. Gigantic get. And what have we always said in this program? Never a doubt. Uh, on the offensive line recruiting front, uh, you and I have said for years, Ryan Shemper, never a doubt, never a worry. And uh, officially, Lance Hurd comes in, uh, left tackle, presumably right away for the Tennessee Volunteers. Um, John Campbell moving to right tackle. That's suddenly the best place you've been in. Um, I think you can argue since Josh Heupel's been here, uh, depending on what herd looks like. But I think the upside is so strong just because, look, I if you're going into next year with herd at left tackle, health permitting, by the way, herd at left tackle, we'll see left guard. But I mean, one of Lampley, Carich, maybe Sham, maybe Vice and Lang. It's a lot of good options. Like you have a lot of good options at left guard and you would assume whoever comes through and wins that battle, they'll be solid. Cooper back at center, Sprague's at right guard and Campbell at right tackle. I mean, that's just a veteran solid group for year one of a uh, Nico Yamaliava's time under center. I mean, you can't really ask for much more because even if you had landed Seton, it's a true freshman. You're starting a true freshman there. And we don't know how you would have done at left tackle um, right away for Tennessee. Now you get someone who has SEC experience a year of it, would have started at a lot of places all around the country. And the only reason he left LSU is because of a depth chart problem. Um, and they have enough offensive tackle talent that he just couldn't get on the field. But he'll start right away, presumably at Tennessee. And look, I, I just think you can't really ask for much more um, from Tennessee for 2024 on the offensive line front. And also the best part, he's a multi-year guy. He's not a stop. He's not a band-aid transfer. He is someone that you want to be able to pencil in um, for the next two to three years uh, at Tennessee. And that's, that's huge just to have that solidified. I would take 22 offensive line over this year um, or over 24. Really? Yeah. I mean, Darnold Dar- Dar- is a top 10 pick. No, man. Hold on. I love unbelievable. What I'm saying is you, the problem is the left, I mean, left tackle was still back and forth with Crawford and Mincy. It wasn't like you had the left side settled. You were going into Bama with Crawford. Yeah, I mean, I understand all that. And you were so good everywhere else that, and so good at right tackle that you could slide protections yeah. and do everything you needed to help it, that you just never had to worry about Darnell Wright. And you, oh, for sure. So I would take 22. That's um, fair. Certainly, you can't ask for anything else, anything more from the starting offensive line. I would completely agree with that. You could ask for a little bit more depth. You still have Dane Davis as your third offensive tackle, and Sam Umarov, I guess, is your fourth offensive tackle. You don't have the depth that you have at offense that you'd like to have at offensive tackle. But no, I mean, it, it was someone that they had to get. Uh, absolutely massive, massive addition for Tennessee, and it just shores up the spot. I mean, it just feels like Tennessee keeps on scrambling and finding enough answers to be pretty solid on the offensive line to me i'll go the big question will just be how much better can they be not as a run blocking as a whole because i think they ran block pretty well this year but in the short yardage when teams knew they were going to run the ball because that's where in 2022 teams knew they were going to run the ball tennessee could still run right up the middle and get two yards on them they couldn't do that last year if we saw Mm -hmm. it against alabama if if they could at alabama then they you know very well might have won that football game so to me, that's the big question. Uh, obviously, left guard will be the position battle question. But as we talked about on here, they got a number of, I think, serviceable guys that they can can get by with. So it's a massive win. And then, yeah, I mean, that's – I kind of go back and forth on that of, like, her just being – going into his true sophomore year. Like, that's w- arguably the most encouraging part of it. And I would say it is the most encouraging part of it is the fact that it's not just a Band-Aid. It's not just a one-year guy. And as you look ahead to 2025, a year that you have frequently circled as the year and Tennessee's going to lose a lot of starting offensive linemen, you have your left tackle back. 
I do caution it just by saying that it's complete lawless out there with the transfer portal. Mm-hmm. He can enter the portal again in the year if he wants to. Obviously, you know, Tennessee's not thinking that way. They hope everything goes well. But that's the one thing that kind of makes me hesitate from saying that that's almost the best part about landing Lance Hurd is the fact that you have your left tackle spot locked up for at least two years and, you know, maybe three. And his cut, uh, Jeremiah is his cousin, right? Like that they yes. are related. Okay. I mean, that helps. Because he's in the yeah. boat, true freshman, and hopefully that is a big part of it. It's like, hey, he gets to play next to his cousin, and they might move him to offensive line because that was the rumor coming in. It's like he's a long-term developmental offensive line guy. Like he's coming as a defensive line, but there's potential of moving him on to the tackle because he's got crazy size too. Um, yeah. Where yeah, his, like like his measurables, yeah, he's huge. Like Jeremiah is is gigantic out of out of Rome, Georgia. So we'll we'll have to monitor that. But I mean, like. It's just you feel a lot better, and I'm sure Nico and company and Ellerby and the and Hypel and the staff just can kind of breathe e- easier. It's just, hey, John Campbell was solid and at left tackle. Now he gets to go to right tackle, and look, that's just that's a good place to be where you're one of your mo- like he you just knew what you had in John Campbell week over week. He was never a liability, and now you have that right hand side plugged in. You got Dane Davis in a spot that is much more comfortable, which is the fourth third swing guy which is what he should be at this point and look that's just you feel better about what tennessee can ultimately get to um for nico in this offense it's just that like like you said the run short yardage run game that stuff well is a tbd with this offensive line and company but and then when you think about 2025 where you said i've circled and i've just i've wondered about what tennessee will be and like why i think that's just a big year and I, a lot of it too which is the wide receivers who i think will have a bigger role and just kind of the the guys who got Tennessee to the CFP conversation two years ago, um, I think Tennessee will be closer to that kind of situation in terms of what I think the offense will ultimately be next year. But I just look at it as like, hey, well, you still have a lot of blue chippers that are options. Like the like the options that you have going into next year, they're unproven. But Satterwhite, four star, Max Anderson, four star, Bennett Warren, high four star, um, Sham still high four star. Uh, Bison Lang three, I think, uh, out of Alabama. But you have heard obviously five star um, on one side. Like you still have a lot of talent on the offensive line that you've recruited really well there um, this past cycle, and we'll see in a little bit better two cycles ago too. I don't know. I just I'm just not as worried about it uh, in terms. And they'll go in the portal and they'll show some upgrades and they'll do whatever. But this year alone. I think if you're a Tennessee fan, you're breathing a sigh of relief because the offensive line should be really good in 2024, barring injuries. Really good. Maybe a little bit of a stretch, but definitely good. Definitely should be good and has the potential to be really good. And yeah, massive sigh of relief. And I, you know, I think maybe the biggest thing you take away from it is the gamble of letting Gerald Mincy walk paid off. You upgrade. Like when you let Gerald Mincy walk, especially that late in the cycle, it was like, all right, you're there's a world out there where you're going to have be really bad at one of the tackle spots next year or yeah. under at the very much, very much, at least underwhelming. Uh, and they let Mincy walk and they did what it took to get a top three, you know, offensive tackle in the transfer portal. One of the other top offensive tackles in the transfer portal was always going to go to Iowa and uh, uh, the Pro- proctor. That's his name, right? The Alabama kid. Um, mm. Blanking on it, yeah, Caden Proctor. So you landed one of the best. Yes, you landed one of the very best options out there, uh, and upgraded over Gerald Mincy. And obviously, that was a gamble and a risk by Tennessee's coaching staff when they were letting Mincy go, um, and it paid off. So yeah, you feel a lot better about it. And one of probably again the biggest gambles that Tennessee's coaching staff has made this off season is one that that paid off for them. Uh, on the flip side, on the defensive line, Jackson Moy uh, comes in from Stanford, defensive tackle, played a lot of football there, uh, flashed in that regard. Um, kind of an under-the-radar pickup, a uh, three-star kid, uh, but a rotation guy where Tennessee, we've talked about, they were quietly very thin on the interior. They're loaded on the edge. Like Tennessee, I don't even know how they're going to divvy up these snaps with Ross, Joseph, and Pierce and company. Like They got, they got dudes upon dudes on the outside but in the interior they need Tyree West Weathersby to be healthy and be a factor in this defensive line room you get Omar Newman Lott back you get Omari Thomas back those are huge but you need some other guys like Bryson Easton also back but you needed a couple more bodies uh Elijah Simmons and Jackson you just look at it and you're like Jackson I think 
is another one where he just solidifies your depth where you can withstand some injuries into the interior and still be okay. And he just feels like he's a, he's a good hit and a good solid rotation guy. He's not going to change the directory of Tennessee's defensive line, but I think he should uh, by all means be a nice rotation guy and nice depth piece uh, in that interior and going to challenge for snaps. I think. I don't think Tennessee ended up necessarily being thin at defense tackle when they got Norman Lott back and they got Amari Thomas back, but they, they definitely weren't deep. So it, it is good to add another guy from an injury standpoint. I don't really know where he fits in in the rotation or what's, you know, what spot, but yeah, he's certainly a guy that's capable of going out there and playing 15 to 20 snaps any given game for Tennessee. And I think the things, two things that stand out to him about me, versatility, he slid over and played some, you know, strong side defensive end for Stanford. Uh, last year which you know get another option another spot that he can play uh, and he is also uh, all those guys we just named on defense line you know tons of those guys are going to be gone they're going to be gone after this season and Tennessee needs some guys to be able to come in and be able to play in 2025 and guys that have a little bit of experience and guys that have been inside of the program so uh, I think that's almost where it's more more encouraging just going to be He's played two years at Stanford, so he's got three years to play two at Tennessee. Uh, and the fact that he'll be back in 25, along with his versatility, are kind of the things that stand out the most to me. Yeah, and look, you can never have too much depth. He's a nice piece, and Tennessee's going to have dudes. On the defensive line, I think, when you look at just who's back and just the rotation option, options for Eckler and, uh, and Rodney Garner and company over there, I mean, it's just going to be... It's gonna be fun. Like, uh, it, it's a, it, they've recruited very well there. They've handled the portal very well there. I think Tennessee's gonna be really strong. And Tyree West quietly flashed in the Iowa Citrus Bowl game, and I think he'll be more than serviceable replacing uh, Tyler Brown on the opposite side. But I, I don't know. I think Tennessee's in good shape on the defensive line at, at this point. No doubt. I mean, that's the one spot that. Tennessee's been at least solid at you know, the whole entire time, or the one defensive spot that Tennessee's been solid at. Josh Heupel's entire tenure. It's what going out and hiring a guy like Rodney Garner does, and they've continued to recruit well there. They haven't recruited as elite on the inside, and I can guess that's probably a lot of credit to Mike Eckler for how well he has recruited uh, at the edge spots, but they have a bunch of dudes there, and they have a bunch of solid guys that can play snaps and not be liabilities. You're not going to be soft in the inside, and uh, Ron, you know Rodney Garner is going to have that group very solid, and then when you have the studs that you have on the edge, you don't need those guys to be a ton more. So. Uh, Again, I think we maybe said it in our first podcast after the Citrus Bowl. I think the defense line will again be even better last year than it was this year, uh, and certainly that was you know one of the best position groups on the entire team, and definitely the best position group on the defense. Absolutely. Um, final thing here, uh, Ryan Shepard. Weekly baseball player spotlight. We're a little over a month away. Uh, from Tennessee baseball being back here. So our weekly player spotlight, Christian Moore. Um, Tony Vitello quietly pouring a, a little water on Christian Mo, Simo, uh, uh, being the everyday shortstop for Tennessee in 2024. But wherever he plays, he's going to be a big factor. He's probably Tennessee's um, best hitter going into 2024. He's probably who you trust the most uh, going into 2024 with the bat. Um, but Look, what uh, what can ball fans uh, expect out of Simo uh, in twenty twenty four? What uh, are you looking for him to improve upon from last year, and where do you think he ultimately best fits on this Tennessee team? Well, what you know, you know, you get is just a a complete hitter, a guy that hits for power, hit over three hundred last season, uh, and a guy that carried Tennessee's offense at times. And certainly Tennessee's offense was not particularly good by, at least by college world series standards last year was not very good. And he was a guy that was unbelievable. You go back to the Clemson regional when he, I believe it was hit more home runs in outs. He recorded. Mm -hmm. I believe that was the stat. I mean, just unbelievable. Uh, or maybe it was as many. Um, and there was another weekend too. I'm kind of trying to remember which one it was. Maybe Georgia, sometime in the back maybe I don't, there was one other sec weekend where he was just in, incredible for tennessee so i think when you talk about where you're looking for him to improve it's consistency it is consistency as a hitter um he was a little bit streaky at times certainly not as streaky as some of the tennessee's batters but uh, it was a lot of really really high boom and then just kind of average hitter at times i don't think he was ever necessarily a bad hitter through a lot of these weekends and defensively you know he wasn't necessarily always the most consistent a little erratic um and now you have him going into his junior year and maybe stepping into a big spot and certainly 
I think it's most ideal for Tennessee if he's their starting shortstop. Like where does you just said where does he fit best? Tennessee hopes he fits best at shortstop because I think that's presents the best opportunities for them to have the best lineup. And it's a guy that's a veteran uh, who's played a lot of SEC baseball starting at shortstop instead of a, a young guy or some sort of newcomer. Obviously, it could be a Juco guy in there too. Question is, can he do that? Can he play with enough consistency? Because there were stretches of the season he wasn't even a particularly good defensive second baseman last year. Now, that wasn't anything I don't think to do with talent. He's got a good arm. He's an athletic guy. I think he's certainly capable. He made a handful of plays that – if they weren't jaw droppers, were at least really, really nice defensive plays. It's about going out there and being able to do it consistently. Was over at Lindsey Nelson Stadium a lot this fall. Rarely was there a day Christian Moore was not working at shortstop for a long, long bit. Uh, so I think Tony Vitello said at one point, he said, you know, he's going over there and he's not moving until I tell him to. You know, he wants Christian Moore wants that job. He wants to be the starting, starting shortstop. And certainly Tennessee hopes that there's a level of maturity and a level of gain consistency where he can become that guy for them this season. Does it affect the ball ceiling if he's not shortstop and he's at second and you have to move some guys that you don't necessarily want to move around? Yeah, I think it probably does. I mean, I think it's hard to say by how much. I, I just think it gives them a lot more flexibility if he plays if he plays shortstop. Mm. And just the fact, I think even from a defensive standpoint, his ceiling is probably the best of any of those shortstop options. I mean, Ariel Antigua was kind of the same way in that he's can do a lot of really impressive things there, but it's just hard to imagine. You don't see a whole lot of true freshmen starting at shortstop and being really good defensive shortstops in the SEC. So I think it does from a, a number of ways. Um, certainly the versatility and the way the Tennessee would be able to tinker with things, which I think they're going to do a lot, at least early in the season with the depth they have, but also just from the fact that I think he has the the best opportunity to be, uh, at least has the highest ceiling of any of their shortstop options. He had 17 home runs a year ago. Do you think, what do you think the number is this year? If you had to guess the bump, do you think he's in the 23 to 25 range? Do you think, where do you think he gets to? I think that's hard to say. I mean, I almost, and the reason I, I bring that up, like, he had 10 in 2022. So he's gone up seven. If he went up seven again, he's in that 2024 or the 24-25 range. See, I don't think that's a fair exercise to do because he probably got significantly more at-bats. Only 100. That he didn't. Yeah, only 100 more at-bats. <laughs> and there, where does 100 more at-bats going to come from this year? Because he mm-hmm. was in the starting lineup every single game. Uh, so I would say... I'll say he gets above 17, but doesn't get to 20. The number I look for, the number I want to see raised, I think he hit 13 doubles last season. Get mm. up to get up to 15 plus doubles. Get to 20 doubles and 18 home runs, or you know, 19 home runs and 17 doubles. You know, be more, uh, just a lot more extra base hits, just besides home runs. That's that's the number I would look at. Is you know how much more consistent can he get there? Final thing, uh, true or false, at the end of this 2024 Tennessee baseball season, we will say that Christian Moore was the best one through nine player on Tennessee's roster this year. I'll say true. I think so. Like to the talent, I think he's the most talented guy in Tennessee's lineup. Mm-hmm. The question is, can he put? Can he be consistent? Not put it all together because we've seen him put it all together. Can he be consistent through an entire season um, and just string together a lot of impressive stuff? And consistency has been the question for him throughout his career. And being, I think, even just like not necessarily just physical consistency, but being mental consistency, being in the right spot, having the right even kill attitude. I think he's with another year he can. He's matured more, and I think he'll get closer to that. And I think because he has the highest ceiling of of any of those guys, and he's been through the ringer a full year, and he's really had two years of you know being a factor. Uh, I I can see it. I think he's kind of could be a classic guy that you see in the SEC that plays a lot uh, as a freshman and sophomore, and then makes you know a massive jump as a junior, and is one of the guys that's going to be in in the consideration and in the conversation for SEC Player of the Year. I like it. Ryan, what can the good books check out from you and the team over at RockyTopInsider.com this week? Yeah, so plenty of stuff coming off of the Alabama game, and then obviously with all the transfer portal news of Sunday, Tennessee will have a open date in basketball in the middle of the week before they head to Nashville to face Vanderbilt on Saturday. So probably a little bit less basketball coverage, but we'll still still have a good bit of stuff and kind of uh, 
not quite a checkpoint because they're only five games in, but kind of reassessing the basketball landscape. And then obviously with classes starting this week for Tennessee, I guess Tuesday, it was supposed to be tomorrow, but uh, Tuesday, that means winter workouts for football start back. And that means we're getting a little bit better feel of what the roster is going to be like and getting definitive answers on you know who's back and who's going to be on the team for some of those guys that haven't made announcements so we'll have plenty of stuff starting to look forward to the 24 season we'll have our first kind of projected depth chart um and look at a bunch of that stuff as Tennessee's roster starts to get uh, a little more rounded out in the modern day of college football the roster's not really never set uh Heck, you know, Carlos Phils and me was on the team for showed up in August two years ago and was there for about two weeks. So that's probably the perfect example of how uh, you you never say that the roster is completely set, but we're starting to get a better better idea of what it's going to look like and uh, some very very start of the football calendar uh, for the twenty twenty four season. We'll have uh, plenty of content on that. Absolutely, Ryan Shepard, always a pleasure, my friend, and I will talk to you next week. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.